natural way to start. <laughs> well, John, it just doesn't happen organically. No, no. I mean, the, we, we like to create a facade that, you know, we like started mid-conversation. Absolutely. And we're, and we're achieving that facade, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> we're doing a great bang-up job. Absolutely. <laughs> Generally, if we could show you how the sausage was made, the most delicious of mm-hmm. foods. <laughs> Usually we prepare a little, a little opening bit. And mm. then uh, proceed to move forward from the episode. But this time we don't have that. No, sadly we don't. No, because... Welcome to the Aspiring Snobs podcast. Yes. Where two very uncreative people talk about movies. Mm-hmm. Indeed they do. Talk about yep. particularly creative movies. And this week's movie, celebrating its 40th anniversary. The 1977 classic, Suspiria. Had you heard of this movie before we put it down on the schedule? Yes. You had? Okay. Be- I had heard of this movie because, again, it was celebrating its 40th anniversary, and I frequent a site called Birth Movies Death, which is run by the Alamo Drafthouse. And, uh, and a couple saw, of like... um, sexual predators, it sounds like. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. that oh, That's not fair. Harry Knowles had nothing to do with Birth Movies Death. <laughs> <laughs> that is fair enough. They just enable their behavior. Well, because they have such winning personalities. I mean, why do you think people come back to Ain't It Cool News all the time? <laughs> you look at someone like Harry Knowles, and you're so surprised because that man could get any woman he wanted. <laughs> That's how we should have started. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. Anyway, uh, we back can't, to Suspiria. We can't, just jump, we can't just jump right into the politics. No, That's absolutely, just, not. No. absolutely not. Um, no. Back to Suspiria. The reason I ask is because this, this is a little bit obscure. It's a, it's a stalwart of a, of a very particular genre, that being horror. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering, like, but I think it's outside of sort of the mainstream. It's more for, it's more uh, among, uh, I don't know, I don't want to disparage these people, but like horror <laughs> geeks and, and huge mm-hmm. fanboys of the genre. Um, well, I think the other, the other reason why I had heard of it is because uh, Guillermo del Toro did that movie last year or the year before called Crimson Peak. Oh, yeah. And I think that draws a lot of inspiration from his work, Dario Argento. Yeah, well, so that's is, why it was yeah, kind of like his... it was like playtime. I I was familiar with it. I could like kind of picture it in my head, but again, like I didn't really know anything about him or his ouvre or this Oura, work in particular. <laughs> no, I like I like ouvre. Well, okay. Well, thank you for that um that comparison to Crimson Peak. I was actually going to compare this to a movie that more than twelve people have seen. <laughs> Ouch! And yes, and who? Yes, who? Burn, Guillermo del Toro. Take that, Guillermo take Toro. that Um. <laughs> Take that shape of water and put it on that burn. <laughs> Oscar contender, looking forward to that one. Um, 
but I think the more um, kind of contemporary uh, analogy or contemporary influence that this movie has is Black Swan. Okay. Yeah, because that's an intense horror. Well, not necessarily horror, but intense thriller set inside a uh, ballet academy. Mm-hmm. And kind of psychological, the pressure of being a perfect ballerina kind of getting to them. Yes. Or at least that's what you'd think this movie was about. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Well, okay, let's get into it. John, this is this is Dario Argento's crowning achievement, other than writing the screenplay for uh, one, uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Okay. Yeah. So, and obviously we're not huge horror fans. Mm-hmm. In spite of that, however, this is a hugely influential movie. Mm-hmm. And so, what did what did you think of it? What was your first guttural reaction? Technically, yeah, it is quite good. Um, very interesting choices in lighting, very interesting choices in cinematography, very interesting choices in editing. But my overall impression is I do not think it is better than the sum of its parts. Okay. It just didn't come all together for me. Um, I guess I can the closest comparison I can really give to it is The Shining. Okay. Which is, it's a quote-unquote horror movie, but more of a kind of existential horror movie with the horrors, although this one does have some, you know, quite stabby stabby moments um more about atmosphere maybe more about atmosphere and mood and i just don't know if it kind of comes together by the end it's like okay that's a nice little mood piece but to what end and that's the kind of sneaking feeling i had towards the end of this movie that's what i that's what i was wondering too is because i was looking for again i couldn't cast out cast out of my mind the huge enthusiasm and cult-like following that this movie has Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering, like, what did audiences kind of grab onto? And you're right, it is, I think it is in the production design. It's in the editing mm-hmm. and sound, particularly the sound. Like, a lot of the technical aspects. I, I can imagine this This has influenced a lot of young filmmakers. They're mm-hmm. like, ooh, wanted to do, to do something that intense and visceral. But yeah, you're right, I was wondering, too, exactly what end was it? I yeah. mean, was it... Because it's not a thematically rich movie. <laughs> In spite of you think, like, you, we referenced Black Swan earlier, and that's a movie about the psychological pressures of perfection and performance and um, and also age, because, yeah, there's ageism and, and all the the kind of cultural weight behind um, yeah. uh, the world-class dancers, ballet dancers. Um, there's also a lot of sexual imagery yeah. in um, Black Swan as well, you know, you have to be kind of virginal, yeah. which she is obviously trying to fight against. Mm-hmm. But there isn't um, a whole lot yeah. of that in this movie. No, there really isn't. And there isn't a whole and... lot of that in Suspiria, and none of the story really, there's no, like, epic twists or anything like that that really, that really grab, that really grab you in the same way that, I don't know, maybe, maybe the, if you want to compare it to The Shining, the Jack Nicholson performance in The Shining has, or, I don't know, the way Hannibal Lecter and Silence of the Lambs are really, like, really high level a level you know horror films (laughs) yeah well i it kind of has the same problem i have with the shining and it's a major criticism that stephen king has noted which is it's almost trying oh it's how do i phrase this it's there's you you mentioned it there really is no kind of twist and jack nicholson for his performance in the shining stephen king always hated that performance because it's like jack nicholson plays crazy people and the whole arc of the story is a seemingly normal person driven to madness but as the moment jack nicholson is on screen you know oh things are gonna go to shit real quick (laughs) and with this movie someone gets murdered within the first 10 minutes under very mysterious circumstances so it's like 
there's no real creeping sense of dread, or at least not enough, because we already know, oh, yes, this is a fucked up place. Yeah. Like, something fucked up is happening here. So it's like, we're not waiting for the other shoe to drop, because both shoes and socks and, I don't know, toenails have already fallen. <laughs> and maggots from the ceiling and all that other stuff. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. I mean, I, I did find those moments effective when the music kind of kicks in and, and the woman approaches mm-hmm. a window. By the way, if you're a woman in this movie, do not go near the window. <laughs> <laughs> and I find those moments effective, but you're right, they're all kind of expected and it's all the it's all the kind of fluff in between. Exactly. Yeah. Do we want to talk about performances? Because oh boy, there's there's very little to kind of register. <laughs> well it's kinda of, it again, like I can really only compare this to other movies. I was having the same problem with it, I was also having the Fitzcarraldo, which is this whole movie's ADR'd. That's true. This is a this is an Italian movie filmed in Germany uh, in English. <laughs> filmed in English. <laughs> exactly. And so you can't get that kind of great performance if their voice constantly sounds like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe if it was an A-level production, like the, I don't know, The Shining went way over budget. <laughs> maybe if it was like that, you know. <laughs> exactly. You wouldn't be distracted by all the technical little flubs. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, in spite of that sound, uh, I think that opening scene... Where it's a woman arriving in the in this incredible rainstorm, <laughs> this incredible movie magic uh, rainstorm, I found that very effective. In like, uh, you 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 cut in, you kind of have these little disquieting cut ins to things like the 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 water running into the sewer or you know knocking on the door or things like that. Mm-hmm. So from that that's kind of sonic level it works, but yeah, once you get into the performances and just be like, oh, I'm C- Susie Banyan, the new student, <laughs> like I'm the, I'm the headmistress. <laughs> I'm Mrs. Tanner, and I'm I'm supposed to be a a stern uh, a stern teacher, even though I do nothing to come that bring that across. Yeah, and the lurch manservant who's got a hunch and like weird crooked teeth. Yeah, I'm wondering if that was supposed to be the the red herring, like if you expect, oh, he's behind the murders. Yeah, well, he kind of was. It turns out everyone's kind I, yeah. of behind the murders. <laughs> well, that's a, yeah. That's also the stunning thing is it's not really. It kind of sets up this mystery or something like that, but doesn't do anything to. <laughs> kind of establish it or carry through. It's just, oh, it's a uh, spoiler alert. It's witches. <laughs> <laughs> yes, secretly this was a coven. Yeah. And that would be a surprise if we didn't have a character explain to everybody that this was secretly a coven. Yeah. Yeah. And it just gets witches completely wrong. I mean, just portrays them as evil and murderous. I mean, <laughs> witches do a lot of good guys. They okay? do. Okay. Yes, it's an offensive portrait to witches. <laughs> Me and my Wiccan coven have blessed Puerto Rico, <laughs> and we're doing so much good. God. Moving on. <laughs> better than better than a trophy. <laughs> better than a golf trophy. Yep. And, Mr. President. Yes. And topical humor is checked off the box. Okay, let's move on.
Fantastic Fest just ended. And they there is this kind of subculture of film critics and, you know, film geeks who do kind of like, like you mentioned, horror. And I feel like uniqueness goes a long way in that kind of community. And this is a very kind of unique film. So I understand why there is the appreciation for that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Sometimes I feel like that swings a little too much in one direction where they kind of like overpraise movies that genuinely just aren't that good. Well, yeah, or not good in maybe a traditional mainstream sense. I mean, let's be honest, <laughs> you and I are, are squarer than square and do represent a, ra- a real mainstream, you know, typical white male <laughs> demographic. Well, yeah, and there's enough craft to this movie that I think it's worth maybe visiting. Yes, but in but terms you of and like, I, you and I appreciate story and character and a lot of the traditional hallmarks of Western filmmaking, yeah. and this doesn't have that. It has those effective moments, like let's talk about that that opening sequence. Mm-hmm. Again, I like the little cut-ins, the sound like raises. It's like it's again just it, it piques your attention a little bit. It kind of builds mm-hmm. attention without any music or anything like that. And we follow this uh, our hero Susie Bannon as she arrives in Germany all alone. And goes up to this uh, this kind of intimidating dance academy in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And as she's arriving, someone is screaming bloody murder and running away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so very unsettling. Yeah. yeah. Well, I found that the follow the follow up to that is even more incredible because then we it's kind of a weird transition to this woman who's who's fleeing the who's fleeing <laughs> the uh, the dance academy in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, she flees to a friend of hers, mm-hmm. and. Uh, her friend basically invites her to stay indefinitely as long as she needs to. And then during the night, she hears some noises, some bumps in the night. And then she looks through a window, and then BAM! Arm reaches through, grabs her, and slams her in the window, and then starts stabbing her. Stab, stab, stab! And, and I mean directly in the heart. <laughs> exactly. We get like a quick cut in when we see the heart, like this big fake heart, but yeah. still. And just like, where did they film this? The apartment <laughs> complex that they found was just so bizarre looking. And they even like made a point to show the ceiling window, like the kind of skylight, because you know that the body's eventually going to fall yes. through there or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and does it, yeah, and the shards of glass. She falls through, is hung, even though she's been stabbed mm-hmm. an, over a dozen times. <laughs> <laughs> Graphically, those are, those are also up close to, I mean, in addition to just being the heart, I mean, just seeing her on screen getting stabbed. It's not like, mm-hmm. it's not like Psycho, where it's like, punches being pulled or you you have to leave it up to your your imagination no you actually see the prop knife going into her belly and yeah chest. well it just goes to show that i'm not much of a horror person because i actually hate that i do love more the kind of implied violence okay because that can kind of be more unsettling it's when they do kind of show like the the knife going in and then they show the heart it's kind of more like oh this is the money shot you wanted right like it just kind of feels wrong to me exactly and i think that's what like immediately it, it piqued my interest i was like oh like okay i can see why this is a this is regarded as a classic because this is a, an effective opening scene for a horror movie and i was ready to see where it goes next the problem mm-hmm. is it doesn't really go anywhere next <laughs> no again like it it sets up this you know mysterious tone and you think like oh things are gonna unfold and she's kind of gonna discover that there's a seedy underbelly to this ballet academy Mm -hmm. but it really turns out to be oh it's just witches and they're murdering people because they're evil yeah there's no real (laughs) motivation for what's happening yeah it's it's as the mystery unfolds it gets less interesting (laughs) 
Well, also, it's our main character, Susie. You think she's the one who's going to end up taking the initiative. But what happens is she ends up having a health issue, yeah, which is never really explained. And then they kind of inject her with shit, which also kind of makes her sick. And then they give her this diet, which makes her sleepy and kind of less able to kind of investigate. So instead, we kind of focus on another girl who's suspicious of what's going on. We follow her for a bit, and then she ends up getting murdered. Yeah. That's her. So it's that's like, her roommate, Jessica. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you're right. We have we have kind of an anomalous protagonist who is the focus of the first five minutes. Then we follow some other girl who gets murdered. <laughs> <laughs> then we follow Susie a bit more, but she has no agency. She's not really driving the story, is she? No. So instead, we follow not. her roommate Sarah, who who's trying to un- solve this mystery, which is also very anomalous. Like she's like trying to hear footsteps like oh there's somebody out in the hallway it could be a teacher and i'm like why why do you care the teachers are roaming the hallways <laughs> that's their job yeah and again if the force like the shining was more anomalous and kind of unknowable then maybe it would add to this kind of creeping sense of dread but it's like we know who the evil people are yeah it's the teachers yes. obviously <laughs> they're so cartoonishly broad mm-hmm. well that's what i was curious about i i like that when they're when we're introducing all those characters, I was wondering, like, okay, are we going to have one single bad, or do, are all these characters kind of conspiring to create this? Because my favorite character was the uh, blind pianist. Oh, yes. <laughs> Again, kind of anomalous. Like, why was he there? Yeah. <laughs> but he is kind of an interesting character. Yeah, he's kind of interesting. There. Um, well, it also lends a lot to the, in terms of, if you're, if you're talking about this purely ineffective in creepiness and spookiness, his setup is probably the, is another like high point in the movie because he's got a seeing eye dog. Mm-hmm. The dog, this they leave off camera, but the dog attacks a young boy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually the son of one of the teachers. Yeah, like yeah, it's it's adding to the kind of the mystery, but like again, it it kind of pulls back. It leaves that to its imagination, and in uh, <laughs> he's he gets fired from his job. He's out on his own, out alone in the middle of this giant courtyard in Germany. <laughs> again, I think that's why they actually filmed it in Germany because they could get that. They could film in that kind of wacky <laughs> apartment building with eight, eight with an eighteen color scheme. <laughs> yep, the crazy architecture. Yeah, in addition to this giant gothic courtyard, um, mm-hmm. and then what ends up happening is his dog attacks him, and and there are a lot of little choices like he's always looking up, mm-hmm. and that's not a natural. That's not what naturally uh, blind people do. <laughs> However, it it to me it lended two things one it makes him vulnerable all the time because his neck is always exposed <laughs> but b it also makes him look seem a little childlike as well mm-hmm. so that's two things like two little choices like really added to the scares like if you're just looking if you're just approaching this movie with scares like here's at least two scenes where like you know your your heart rate increases and like oh big catharsis and then it's over yeah exactly so you got that it's got that going for it
And I mean, again, there's a lot of great, like, interesting shots. Like when Jessica's decided she's had enough, she's going to start investigating. We get this close-up shot of the light bulb in kind of a wide angle of the room. And then we see the light go off. And then we see her kind of, like, try to sneak out. And the other thing, too, about Jessica is she has this lighter with a little watch in it. It's, like, one of her, like, precious things. Mm -hmm. And Lurch, you know, the, you know, manservant of the school, he always kind of looks at it with, like, envious eyes. And after she's been murdered, and after Susie's kind of gotten wise and is kind of like sneaking around the halls trying to figure out what's going on, we get this great tracking shot of Lurch's hand with the lighter. Mm-hmm. It's uh, apparently he, you know, got his hands on like a really advanced steady cam. You can see him using it like you know a new tool in the toolbox. Mm-hmm. Maybe not like for great artistic reasons, but also like just look at how cool this shot is. Yeah. <laughs> That's another reason why I can't like imply that this movie has a lot of artistic merit to it. <laughs> Yeah, that funny you mentioned that too, because there are a few like little zooms, mm-hmm. and that was actually kind of a, a new tool, a, a new uh, a new feather in their bows was the zoom lens. <laughs> <laughs> and like he and uh, like uh, Daria Argento and Stanley Kubrick during this time were trying to experiment it, like oh let's start here and let's slowly zoom in or zoom out or something like that. And gotcha. Yeah, it's not something you see in a lot of filmmaking today, but it was a new tool that they're trying to experiment with. So, I mean, credit to him, it's just, you know, was it, thinking back, like, on it, I was like, that's a great shot. Wait, but were they just using it because they could, or was there a specific reason for why they were using it? Yeah, I was kind of <laughs> kind of feeling around, like, let's let's look at some thematic resonances here. <laughs> yeah, Because exactly. I want to look beyond, I want to look beyond, this is not just, this is not just a vessel for scares. I really mm-hmm. want to know why the scares were there, and... I was thinking in terms of Black Swan because I'd seen Black Swan before this, mm-hmm. and I thought it was playing with a lot of the same themes, you know, the pursuit of perfection, the pressure of performance for, especially for women. Mm-hmm. And there, there isn't a whole lot of that, is there? No. Instead, it just kind of feels like it's going back to that old horror trope where it's like the victim is female because we naturally want to victimize females. Yeah, or they're is... more vulnerable than males. And yeah, so we they're feel the more vulnerable sex, or something so... like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like something that needs to be protected, which, you know, kind of made me feel a little icky, but, you know. Yeah. Um, well, there are a lot of little influences in, to Psycho. There are a lot of mm-hmm. little nods to Psycho, you can see, and mm-hmm. um, which we may revisit on a future episode. Let's see. Ooh. <laughs> How's that for a tease? <laughs> <laughs> and for that, I think there's a more specific purpose in having a female protagonist and a, and a potentially female victim. Mm-hmm. Like you can see, like a he's playing with themes of voyeurism and things like that. Here, here, I just wasn't seeing that. No, exactly. It's just kind of like, oh, we need to send her off to boarding school. What could she be doing at a boarding school? How about ballet? You know, yeah. <laughs> doesn't really feel like, yeah, it doesn't really feel like it has a major theme. Again, technically, this movie's pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. But again, I just don't think there's a lot going on underneath the surface. Yeah. Well, when you say technically, like I was also thinking in terms of. The other great technical merit to this movie is its color. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because while we're talking about the wacky production design that was <laughs> on the mid to late 70s Europe, <laughs> like banter, there's literally a, a room called the Red Room. Mm-hmm. And so all the rooms have this have these huge, highly saturated paint jobs. 
<laughs> and they're just awash in these like red and green lights. Mm-hmm. And again, like it almost matches the music itself. Like when things get like really scary, like again, the whole screen turns beet red. But I was wondering what exactly that contributed to. I think really just the mood. Yeah, that and maybe... I mean, again, like red equals blood, blood equals bad. <laughs> yeah, that... blood should be inside it, it the body. It, yeah. <laughs> good, good point. I agree. <laughs> Yeah, it, all it did, like these these kind of rooms filled entirely with with red or these red floodlights. They just they they put my alarms up, but I was just wondering, okay, does that mean you know the women are in a vulnerable spot at this point? Is it something cultural? Is it something you know more psychological about their state? But yeah, yeah. Again, I, other than that, I can also think of like blues. At one point, they're in a pool. And that's kind mm-hmm. of teased for like dramatic effect, like oh no, like somebody's somebody's looking at somebody's looking at them. They could you know they could be attacked at any moment. They're vulnerable now, but mm-hmm. no, nothing becomes of that. So, mm-hmm. I don't yeah, know. Uh, yeah. Really again, a... it's kind of it's kind of a a mixed bag. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, are we missing something? Should we have done more research or something? Because I just I don't know. I just don't feel like there's enough there. Yeah, maybe. I think it just has to do with the the kind of. <laughs> Again, I don't want to. I don't want to reduce it to this, but mm-hmm. for fans of horror, mm-hmm. and there are there are big fans of this genre. It's it's one of the only genres where people will go to the theaters for the for the genre itself, not for the stars or the storyline or anything like that. Mm-hmm. As the as the success of it demonstrates, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think they love it for those moments. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's. <laughs> let's let's get to the ending. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we could find something there, because this is where this is where you know, I, I'm trying to find defenses for this movie. But this is where it really, really, really takes a dive. <laughs> yeah. So eventually, Susie gets wise, mm-hmm. and she finds the secret compartment. Well, I'm thinking before way- that she gets wise and finds a character who she knows that we weren't introduced to, played by Udo oh, Kerr. <laughs> wait, you're talking about the scene with the professor? Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, I already explained that the exposition theater scene. Oh, okay, I'm, I missed that. <laughs> yeah, so basically, the way she figures out that this place was secretly a coven for witches is someone tells her it used to be a coven for witches. Yes. Well, two men, two men have to explain it to her at this outdoor cocktail party or whatever. And well, and one is like, I'm a man of science. I don't think that's true at all. And then the older, you know, more seasoned veteran is like, Oh yes, they're capable of quite evil things. You know, it's just kind of like. I don't know, it's very goofy and, again, serves no purpose then to just tell us what's going to happen with the plot. Yeah, and if I had been told that the people who run my, my school is cursed <laughs> and potentially filled, filled with witches, you know what I would do? Leave. <laughs> There's nothing in the story kind of propelling Susie other than maybe avenging her friend, I don't know, who's been murdered at this point, mm-hmm. but the, to really propelling her to investigate this mystery further. There was nothing mm-hmm. really to do it in the first place other than a mysterious rash of murders, but I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> anyway, you're right. She finds it. Uh, uh, she goes to the Scooby-Doo door. <laughs> and again, it's like the worst reveal ever because she just remembers what that woman at the beginning was screaming. Oh, three flowers, the blue iris. And then she sees it and then she realizes, oh, that's a blue iris. I'll just twist that. And that opens the secret door. Mm-hmm. It's not like she like used her wits or figured out the grand scheme. It's just kind of like, oh, wait, that's what she said, and that's what that is. Great. But she did use her wits when she went down the hall and heard all the major characters who are gathered there. 
<laughs> saying, well, don't forget, hey, she also kill. snuck by. She also snuck by the kitchen. This Ooh, is true. Daring. Yep. <laughs> and they're all conveniently gathered. They're saying, hey, we should kill Susie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> kill the American. Kill the American. Yes. I don't know why. She wasn't the only American there. Why did they identify Yeah, exactly. What? At least I don't think she was America. America. Yeah. They would probably take a knee during the national anthem if they could. <laughs> but anyway, hate um, the troops. she stabs a ghost and the whole place blows up. <laughs> okay, but the ending is pretty cool. The way the whole building starts to collapse as soon as she kills the spirit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. That was cool. And you could definitely tell that they did not care about safety or regulations for the poor actress because she is no. genuinely terrified yeah. when stuff is blowing up around her. No. that's uh, So a lot of explosions you see on film, I call them Hollywood explosions because they're big, slow fireballs, but you don't actually see any debris like actually flying mm-hmm. around. Here you actually do see like pieces of plaster. and <laughs> maybe little... Yeah, it's all like compressed air and everything is just popping around her and she's like, you can tell she like has to run away because that's what you know the script tells her to do but she's obviously being cautious because one wrong step and some thing is gonna fly right into her (laughs) eye yeah (laughs) so the dream is collapsing and so that maybe was one another point of influence for inception was this final sequence and maybe for wonder woman because it's a big dumb ending (laughs) i didn't i didn't like it that much again fine production design but by then i was kind of like out i was just (laughs) There is one little nice touch at the end, which is when we first see her at the beginning of the movie, when she's arriving to the school, it Mm -hmm. is a torrential downpour. Yeah. And she's obviously terrified. She's trying her hardest not to get wet. And so at the end, when she finally escapes the house and the house literally explodes, like it literally turns into a fireball, Mm -hmm. uh, she kind of walks out into the rain and you see her her face. She's just relieved. Yeah, she's just kind of like, yeah, she kind of smiles and she just kind of like saunters off. And I thought that was like a nice little touch. Like it brought it kind of like full circle. Again, thematic resonance, uh, not really moving the needle much, but (laughs) no. And I thought that was maybe like a little production thing. Like maybe she wasn't rehearsed to smile or anything like that. But before they called cut, like she's like, okay, that takes that take is over. I'm relieved. Mm -hmm. And they they look that back at that at dailies and like oh i like that you know i'll include it in the it was probably unrehearsed is what i was thinking okay yeah that is possible yeah 
I mean, definitely when she's running through an exploding house. Yes, that definitely felt <laughs> improvised. Yeah. <laughs> they probably didn't do a lot of takes of that. No. One thing, you, so you said, are we missing something here? Yeah. Like, maybe we should do a bit of research. You reminded me of something, actually. Oh, ooh, do tell. <laughs> uh, when Dario Argento conceived this, uh, he and his screenwriting partner, whose name escapes me, mm-hmm. uh, they conceived this as this story was going to star kids. Oh, that's right. I did read this too. It was meant to have twelve-year-olds. Yeah. So this would I be a, this would be a dance academy for more like te- pre-teens and teens. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you can see some kind of signs of that. A when um, when Susie first moved in, uh, there's mm-hmm. some sniping going back and forth between the dancers, and actually one of them just sticks their tongue out at the other one. <laughs> and it is very immature, and that's because it was originally conceived to be immature little toddler, <laughs> not toddlers, but. <laughs> Immature Your name kids. is Susie. Someone told me that names begin with S's means they're snakes. Yeah. <laughs> Not exactly the most uh, mature <laughs> screen. No, right yeah. There. And another thing you mentioned that, oh, I, I the blue iris, like, the doorknobs in the uh, house are actually high. So in the production design, it, again, made a choice that makes them look more childlike and more vulnerable. Mm, yeah, see, and again, that was going a back to this. To that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, again, there's no other reason for them to be females besides the fact that they're meant to be victimized. So yeah. it just goes back to that. It just proves that that is the whole point. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really have anything to say about womanhood or empowerment. No. Or anything... I'm trying to think anything about kids, like youth. Yeah. Again, kids are just more vulnerable. Yeah, so maybe maybe we're right. <laughs> what am I saying? <laughs> Probably. We are right. Again, we're this, always right. This is designed to just be... A vessel for scares. Exactly. Um, and it's very good at that for the first about hour and 15 minutes. But then it just kind of, you know, the more you hear about the mystery, the less you're intrigued. And, you know, it's no has... mystery. It's, I know. oh, there's witches. <laughs> it, was a, it was a school designed for dance and witchcraft. <laughs> oh, yeah. We missed that little detail. <laughs> now, I don't know. I was, looking, I was looking for a school for dance and witchcraft for my, little, my youngster. But... <laughs> I don't know. There are so few around the Southern California area. I just, you know, I want her to major in a cult, but I just want to give her the option to minor in it if she wants. You know, <laughs> that's true. Really, she has to. She has to do ballet. I mean, that's a that's a necessity. Absolutely. <laughs> I did like that line of dialogue where she first enters class, and Miss Tanner, who's the instructor, actually is explaining the history of ballet. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm assuming that's because the the writers have never actually been in a ballet class. I know I've never been in a ballet class, so they're like, uh, what do they actually teach in ballet class? Uh, let's look in an encyclopedia and find out. Oh, we'll just take the text from the encyclopedia. <laughs> you know, it's a ballet class. They stomp the floor. One, two, three. One, two, yes. three. That's ballet, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's all they need to do. Mm-hmm, pretty much. But uh, yeah, you're, you're an enigma, Suspiria. Yeah. I mean, it's also, yeah, we're not the biggest horror fans out there. No, this movie was not made for us. No. I mean, again, technically there's enough going on that I think I can, like, recommend it for that. Mm. But, again, I can't recommend it super highly. In terms of the horror movie super fans that adore mm-hmm. this movie already? Like, I okay, I understand now. <laughs> I've exposed myself to your weird little world. <laughs> and now I'm retreating. <laughs> But you know, I actually have gained an appreciation for it a little bit. You're not retreating, Greg. Retreating means that you're too scared for it. Uh, no, and I wasn't. Well, let's see. Did I? I did not pee my pants once. So, 
I mean, I did, but not because I was scared. <laughs> oh no, John. <laughs> Look, I'm seeing the doctor on Wednesday. Okay, okay. <laughs> Let's talk about something we actually can recommend. Whoa, whoa, what do you mean? We always do this. Ugh, we gotta come up with a better way to get into spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Next time, we promise we'll come to next episode prepared. <laughs> no, we won't. Say, John. <laughs> Here we are at Ikea. And what's this? Barack Obama eating a hamburger. <laughs> Look out, he's got a gun. <laughs> I'm so good at improv. No. And I'm going first. <laughs> okay. I just no anded you the whole thing. <laughs> Nip that in the butt you immediately. <laughs> John, I didn't watch anything this week, so I'm continuing my series of um, movies like the ones we just watched, but uh, better versions. Better, more modern Excellent. versions. Excellent. Go for it. Yes. This time I wanted to spotlight another atmospheric taut thriller. Ooh. That has a, I, I think it's like cult following. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But it's one of my all-time favorite movies, and it's One Hour Photo. Oh. Uh, yeah, this movie's very polarizing, surprisingly. Well, yeah. Well, I revisited relatively recently, like <laughs> within the last 12 months. That's what that's recent to me. <laughs> that's pretty recent. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I can see how, because it's actually very story light. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot going on in its 90-minute runtime. No, it, it is a lot of kind of like slow, atmospheric mood pieces. It stars Robin Williams, and mm-hmm. he, he plays a man living by himself alone, and he's a uh, one-hour photo operator. Ask yes. your parents. <laughs> yes. Also, Robin Williams. Back in the day, parents. people used to get their photos printed. Yes. I'm sure they still do, right? <laughs> you can do it at little kiosks. Yeah. And plus, you got those great frames at Target. You know, you got to fill those somehow. That's very true. Unless you like the stock photos of spoons and strangers. I mean, <laughs> hey, I love my spoon photos. How dare you? <laughs> In any event, yes, uh, Rob Williams plays a one-hour photo, a very uh, lonely guy, as you can tell. Mm-hmm. I guess this kind of goes along with Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Like mm-hmm. you can kind of see there's something off about him immediately. And exactly. it turns out that he's obsessed with uh with customers of his the family of uh customers of his. He t- he prints an extra copy of these family photos and basically hangs them up a little shrine for himself, mm-hmm. so he can kind of live vicariously. Yes, but something happens that uh that uh <laughs> could uh <laughs> ruin the foundation of that uh, picture perfect marriage. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so sh- should we just spoil it? <laughs> I I don't know. I guess. So. Well, he finds out uh, through another customer that the husband of this and this family is having an affair, mm-hmm. and again, it kind of like uh, shakes the foundations of this family and him. And mm-hmm. as a result, like he loses his job, and so like all these little what little facets he has in his life is kind of uh, being torn away from him. And I get, and in spite of what I said earlier about him being like Jack Nicholson, I mean, just the the raw talent of Robin Williams. <laughs> really kind of sells this performance like obviously at the time like you've like oh my gosh like uh the guy who played the genie in aladdin is you know doing a, a career transformation but i mean yeah if you if you're if you're a, a a cinephile like us you see him in like goodwill hunting and, and true confessions and all this other stuff and you can see what kind of range he had of course yeah because in this movie he's very kind of quiet you know still waters run very deep and he has this weird unsettling personality it's very strange like even in parts like goodwill hunting he was still a bit of a like a social butterfly yeah you know you could still see him at the bar like hey how's it going like joking with his friends this guy is just so 
beyond (laughs) any social aspects whatsoever. It's just so deeply creepy. Yeah. And when you say unsettling, there are, I think this is one thing that makes the movie divisive, there there are dream sequences. Yeah, that's also true. Very obvious dream sequences. Yeah, which, um, again, a little unsettling, but don't exactly go anywhere. Mm, I'm speaking one scene, again, let's just spoil the whole movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Even though I encourage you to check it out. He goes into the... It looks like he goes into the house when they're not home. Mm-hmm. And then the family actually comes back home when he's when he's kind of made himself comfortable. <laughs> and that turns out to be a little fantasy of his. Yeah, exactly. Instead of being, like, creeped out, they kind of welcome him. And it's like, you're here. <laughs> I guess we have to make an extra place for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and then cut back to, oh, I'm still in the car. <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, there's a dream sequence after he's seen the photos of with proof of the affair. You know, he has this weird dream sequence where his eyes start bleeding, implying that he saw something he shouldn't have. Yes. Yeah. But It's a little on the nose. It, it's Yeah, it's a tad on the nose. Again, it's playing with uh, themes of voyeurism and, and pretty obvious stuff. Like, also in the production design, like, he wears a gray jacket in a big gray world in a, in a white, you know, fluorescent lit uh, shopping center. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then all the family photos he sees, they're bright, they're extremely bright and colorful. <laughs> like even the even the Photoshop people that probably recolored him, of like, oh geez, scale it back a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it's playing with very obvious touchstones, but I think I think very effective in its atmosphere, and um, in spite of how light the story is, uh, very effective. Yeah. Again, maybe it's like, uh, you know, like again, our feelings with uh, Suspiria. It's like maybe there's not a lot going on underneath the surface, but you know, technically and visually. It's got a lot going well, on. Well, I think there's more going on than Suspiria. And unlike Suspiria, it ramps up at the end, not down. It's <laughs> an excellent at point, the climax yes. of the movie. Yes, it does get quite intense. Yes. <laughs> and you really don't know where it's going, as opposed to this, where you know exactly where it's going. Yeah. She's going to find out there's witches. <laughs> yes, and not bored by scenes of exposition. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yep. in conclusion, One Hour Photo is a movie of many contrasts. <laughs> the end. Speaking of witches. Oh, really? Have I got a spotlight for you? Okay. Now, is this is this a more positive um, look at w- uh, Wiccans? And <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. Not saying that you know I you know, I'm just, but I'm just saying I was a little offended by the portrayal of witches. I mean, they're they're <laughs> genuinely good people trying to do good for the society, <laughs> and using their powers for good. But anyway, continue. There is an anime that is exclusive to Netflix okay. that you'll be able to stream all 25 episodes of. 25. It's called Little Witch Academy. <laughs> have you seen this, Greg, or have you heard of this? Well, that's all the time we have for today. <laughs> now, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Greg, hold on to your brain, because this premise will blow your mind. Okay. Okay. I've, I've got it secure. <laughs> there is a dimension that us non-magical people don't know about. Well, expectations yeah. shattered. <laughs> <laughs> and in this dimension, there is a European-style castle where they teach young, middle-school-aged kids magic. Okay. What is it about castles? Japan loves medieval European-style castles. Like, you you got your own cool stuff. No, Greg, they love Harry Potter, obviously. This is the revolve of Harry Potter. Wait, are you saying this story is like Harry Potter? Just a little bit. Okay. I mean, I don't see any... If if you squint, you'll see I'll see the similarities, but go ahead. (laughs) So our main character, Akko, has just been accepted into this prestigious school for witchcraft. Prestigious Not wizardry, just just witches. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, turns out, though, she's not that quite a good student. Really? Yes. Wait, are you in saying, fact, she's are you terrible. Saying that she she's can't even fly up room. She doesn't apply herself. That's not it. No. Abs- what she lacks in skills, she more than makes up for in moxie. Okay. 
believing in herself. That's her magic. All right. Does she say, believe it, I will do it? No, she literally says, believing in myself. That's my magic. <laughs> That's literally the line. <laughs> Continue. I'm interrupting too much. Go ahead. <laughs> this show is very earnest. <laughs> okay, that's good. It's it's a kid's show. It's a family show. All right. Which is what I kind of appreciate about it. It's extremely earnest and extremely kind of like bright and fluffy, but it's a lot of fun. And, you know, See, I, I hope was you brought picturing, extra... Sorry, I was picturing like something gothic and dark and brooding like all the other animes that are kind of pitched at 13-year-old boys. <laughs> no, exactly. No, this is actually pitched more towards girls because okay. what I love about it is none of the girls are sexualized at all. Oh, that's that's, it, it's, that's it, refreshing to hear. <laughs> exactly, it's it's exclusively sta- you know the whole cast is women and it's lovely. Okay. It's quite refreshing. All right. There is like one kind of sullen bad boy that there's like implied as kind of a love interest, but not really. All right. <laughs> yeah, but it's a very earnest, very sweet, very fun, kind of family centric show. But I hope you bought extra light bulbs because we have a lot of lampshades to hang. <laughs> Again, I'm sorry we went long today, but we really have to wrap things up. <laughs> So, like I said, this is basically just like a ripoff of Harry Potter. Uh-huh. But what I like about it is it takes a little more time to add satirical touches because of that. For example, Akko is clearly a terrible student. Yes. And so you have to wonder why why would they accept her into this prestigious academy? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'd expect that, you know, one of the wise old teachers is going to say, well, we see potential in everybody. Um, no. By the third episode, it turns out that the school is doing very poorly financially, and they've had to greatly decrease their standards, which is why they've accepted her. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Uh, John, I will, I will say, this is, this is defying my expectations somewhat. I don't want to be yeah. cynical about all the anime, anime shows that I've seen. <laughs> no, it's very all different. about, you know, uh, impossibly talented and handsome teenage boys fighting monsters. So <laughs> the fact that this is something different is refreshing. And what I like about it is there is this kind of, like, overall tone in this kind of, like, satirical edge, basically explaining that, like, magic has no place in the modern world anymore, Mm -hmm. and they're trying to fight against it and kind of failing. Oh, you mean, like, the forces of society saying, hey, we don't need this magical stuff anymore. Exactly. Having, like, a... Having a school dedicated to teaching magic in this world is kind of like having a school dedicated to calligraphy. People don't really see the point anymore. Like, okay. why communicate with owls? We have cell phones. <laughs> There's one episode in particular where um, a dragon steals, like, a precious treasure to the school. Okay. And so the kids, you know, even though they're expected to stay home, they get in trouble and they go chasing after the dragon to reclaim their treasure. So as they're going into the dragon's den, they expect to see lots of, you know, gold and treasure and things he's accumulated over the years. Instead, what they find is a bank of computer monitors tracking his stocks and bonds. <laughs> Because the dragon, <laughs> what, like what, invest in precious metals in this economy? No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, John, I, my expectations have genuinely been shattered. Okay. <laughs> I'm so not going to watch it, it, but okay. No, yeah, it's like, and it's that's kind of the interesting balance of the show. It has that kind of like smart edge to it, but it is genuinely, sincerely sweet. Because, again, like, it, it's invested in this character who just, again, like, that is literally the phrase. Believe in myself. That's my magic. Like, that's, she genuinely is just, like, a fool and nothing's ever going to stop her. Okay. John, I, you've, you've, pulled, <laughs> you've pulled the rabbit out of the bag on this one. You were the true magician today. <laughs> <laughs> well, you kept interrupting me. You kept, you kept me from doing my prestige, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Well, John, that's what you got to learn in magic school. 
There, there will be hecklers. There will people be throwing, I don't know, banana peels at you or whatever else they serve at the Magic Castle. <laughs> yes, whole bananas. That's what they serve. At the I Magic said banana Castle. peels. Oh, Open so your ears you're implying that they don't come with the bananas? They just serve the bananas? No, I ate the banana because bananas are delicious. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Whole banana. Forget it. <laughs> exactly. They serve whole bananas at the Magic Castle. Have you never been? <laughs> no, I've never been to the Magic Castle. Have okay. you? you? Is it anything LA? like the show you just described? <laughs> Why are you asking me? I, I said I've never been. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've, uh, how about this? Why don't we reach out to our listeners? <laughs> You're terrible. <laughs> reach out to us uh, by email. Have you been to this? I haven't. <laughs> at gmail.com. If you've ever been to the Magic Castle, please let us know. <laughs> Write us on Twitter. Hashtag Magic Castle. About your experiences at the Magic Castle. Did they serve bananas? Is it anything like the the anime show that John just recommended? Little Witch Academy. Little Witch Academy, thank you. I actually don't like that name. Because they, they sound like sweethearts. They don't sound like little witches. <laughs> but that's what they're learning to be, Greg. Okay. Little little witches? Not big ones? <laughs> no, because they're middle schoolers. Okay. Well, the middle schoolers yeah. grow. <laughs> they don't stay the same size. Are they giving them hormone <laughs> treatments? Probably. Okay. We're getting to the weeds. Again, here. it's magic. Yeah. Magic. They stay young forever. Anyway, social media. John, we're on every social media platform, aren't we? Not Instagram, but sure. <laughs> we we will be by the end by the time this goes up on the air. What are we gonna post on Instagram? <laughs> uh the hilarious photos of me talking on a headset. <laughs> Great, you told them that you told them that we're on headsets. Now they're going to make fun of us. No, we're going to look like amateurs. You've, you've, got, you've got the top-level podcast record, recording equipment. <laughs> My blue microphone, yes. Yeah. And honestly, not to toot our own horn, we probably sound better than 90% of the podcasts out there. Mm, probably. <laughs> you disagree? I haven't, I, I haven't listened to 90% of podcasts, but sure. I have. I have a lot of time at work. <laughs> oh, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> And plus, if you read, I don't know, if you read, uh, I don't know, Vulture for more than two minutes, <laughs> like, here's 90 more podcasts you have to read, read, listen to this week. Here's one on some boring crime that happened somewhere. Ouch. Yeah. Take that. Greg's full of, vi- Greg's full of the vinegar today. Indeed I am. It's late. <laughs> Guys, follow us on f- Twitter, like us on Facebook, la 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 la. Five-star <laughs> reviews on iTunes. And Stitcher. Stitcher. You know the drill. Yeah. Google Play, why not? Mm-hmm. Google Play, Spotify, maybe someday. <laughs> yeah, so look out for that. Yeah. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Before we go, yes, we have to reveal what we're watching next week so that our listeners can listen, watch along with us. Yes, I mean technically we already revealed what we're watching next week. We're doing Psycho. Yes, that would be the 1960 classic Psycho. Psycho. <laughs> Psycho. Psycho killer. Kiss, kiss, see. So tune in next week and see how many ways we can say psycho. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that's just going to be like this That's for, literally all it's going to be. 45 it's be minutes like of just this. 50 minutes, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be, be our best episode yet. <laughs> our highest rated episode. Yeah. <laughs> We're submitting it to uh, whatever awards they hand out for podcasts. <laughs> Streamies? I don't know. Webbies? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for listening to another Banner episode of ours. <laughs> And until next time, keep aspiring.